my name is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to this week's episode of What's Next Reload, where I had the honor and full of gratitude to have Ariana Huffington on my show. But we met a number of years ago, randomly in a coffee shop in Southern California. From there, our friendship blossomed. She's been on my podcast. She endorsed my book. We've done multiple things together on stage. I've even joined her at her house for a dinner party. I hope you enjoy this incredible interview with my friend, Ariana Huffington. Many of you listening may know her as the co-founder and editor-in-chief of the Huffington Post, the author of Thrive and the Sleep Revolution most recently. But what you might not know is she has a master's degree in economics from Cambridge, has published books on Picasso and Maria Callas. She ran for California governor. She's been named one of the most influential women in media one of the most powerful women in business. Well, there's no way really to describe Ariana, except she's been such an inspiration to me over the years, and I'm thrilled to have her here with me today. Welcome, Ariana. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Really great to be with you. Yes, it's uh, it's been uh, an interesting uh, you know, friendship you and I have developed. I, I met you one day in Santa Monica randomly with your daughters, and, and I guess it, it started then, and you have just been uh, so great to me over the years. So I, I really do appreciate your time today. Well, I love what you're doing, and I love what you've built at Salesforce. Great. Thank you. Well, I'm going to start something off today uh, that I like to call bullish and bearish. Uh, it's something to just kind of loosen up the guests and get, get the juices flowing and just have a little fun as we start off our time together. You ready? Ready. All right. So the first one is a stat came out a number of years ago that people will have more conversations with artificial intelligence, things like Siri and Alexa, than their spouses. So if you're asking me if I think that's a good idea, <laughs> I, would, I would definitely be bearish. If you're asking me if that's going to happen, if this prediction is going to be true, I say the jury is out. Uh, we are actually at this inflection point where we don't know yet. It's up to us and we... We haven't really figured it out yet. Fair, fair. All right, the next one. The gyms of the future will be a mix of toning both our minds and our bodies. Bullish. Good. There's one in New York now. I'm so excited to see that it's starting to happen where they're spending some time. I know. I, I totally love it's it. It's great. All right, the third one is machines will be able to duplicate in time, the works of Picasso or even Puccini's Tosca? Uh, bearish, 100% bearish. No machine can ever capture <laughs> human imagination, creativity, wisdom, love. I agree. I just thought that was so close to who you are and what you've done. I think you know your body of published work is, is so vast that people don't realize you're, you're tied to the arts in that way. Let me start this off with, you know, writing for you has been such an incredible way to affect change, you know, with all the books you've written, but also with Huffington Post. And I think you say, you've said in the past that you get that from your father. Um, true statement? Well, my father was a journalist and he gave me this incredible love of writing, of reaching people. Uh, through the written word. So definitely ever since I was a little girl, I was kind of in awe 
of um, of people who sh- through words could um, could help really touch people's hearts and minds. Yes, and I think you know you have this uh, incredible ability to connect through the various paths and journeys you've taken. I mean, I think some people look at careers very linearly, like, you know, I'm going to do this and it's going to lead me to that. But if you look across your career, it's been, it's been so diverse, you know, from being uh, an author and then getting into politics and, you know, being uh, very early in when you wrote The Female Woman and you've done all kinds of things. And do you think over the decades that each of those paths you were on has led you to where you are today? Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting, Tiffany. Um, often, you know, our life only makes sense when we look back on it, right? It, um, it doesn't make complete sense as we are living it. There are ups and downs and unexpected turns of events. And uh, I am really excited to be able to look back and, and recognize the truth of Rumi saying that um, live life as though everything is rigged in your favor. That's a good one. Yes. And I agree with you. You know, it's even like as interesting as me being doing this podcast and being here with you, right? It's when I look back, I feel like I'm doing exactly what I was meant to be doing. But when I was on my way, it, I didn't make sense. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, and also very often it's things that happen that um, are against our wishes. Like I remember being in love with this man in London, really wanting to marry him and have children. It didn't happen. Turned out to be the best thing um, for me when I look back at my life. So that's another way to look at it. You know, the the mixture of things that happen or don't happen that lead to where we are now. Yeah. And I think, you know, this generation, interesting, I know that you're really focused now on this. How can we help have a better balance in our lives between all the things technology has brought us and the things that we should be doing in life, like just reflecting back as we've just been speaking about, right? You just don't take the time because everything tends to be so connected. And it was a couple of weeks ago, I, I, tweeted something and then I put it up on LinkedIn where I I actually said, you know, in my 20s, what was important to me at that age uh, was, you know, what do I want to do? In my 30s, it was sort of, you know, how much more money can I make? In my 40s, it was, is this really what it's all about? (laughs) And then when I crossed 50, um, now it's all about how do I pay it forward and how do I become, you know, more mindful of the things that I've been able to do? Do you think that that's, that's, this generation is now hitting some of the things we may have hit in our 40s and 50s earlier? Yes, absolutely. In fact, this is such a good way of looking at that because you see so many younger and younger entrepreneurs or people working in any sphere who don't want to just wait uh, before they start giving. And in my book, Thrive, in fact, I include giving as one of the pillars of a full life. And we also know from um, uh, neuroscience now that that giving is a shortcut to happiness. Absolutely. So for the sake of every part of our lives, we need to actually teach our children from a younger and younger age to make um, 
to make giving part of their lives. Yeah, there's a professor at uh, the University of Madison that actually, you know, did a lot of research around compassion being a trainable skill, right? And understanding how uh, compassion and happiness, uh, you know, has has correlation to the way in which people live their lives. Yes, and that's why I'm kind of concerned about our addiction to our devices because we have the data that shows that it actually makes us less empathetic. Uh, It makes us um, less likely to want to connect in a deeper way with with our fellow humans. And of course, this this, uh, uh, reduction in empathy is particularly damaging um, with young people who have only known this um, way of living, addicted to our devices. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting because if you look on some of the uh, research you actually uh, brought forward, as well as others, that it's kind of around the 2012 timeframe um, where the proportion of Americans who own smartphones actually surpassed 50%. So that year, you really started to see changes in uh, all kinds of things with with all this excessive screen time, especially in teenagers, and you know, as the millennial generation was getting older. But now, you know, the teenagers of today are sort of this I generation, right? I don't mean I as in all about me. I mean I as in like iPhone, right? I mean the little I. Yeah. Yes. And, yes. and so, how do, how do you, you know, I know now you're really focusing in on what are some things people can do to disconnect from that screen time? Yes, I've been writing a lot about it. We've been working with companies through Thrive, uh, my, my new company, to help them and their employees set ground rules and guardrails around our relationship with our devices. And we actually also launched an app. Uh, Thrive app, which is on Android at the moment, but will soon be on iOS as well, that um, helps us put our phone on Thrive mode. So let's say you and I are having a meal or you're having a meal with your family and you want to be undistracted. Um, You put your phone in Thrive mode. And then uh, if I text you, I'll get a text back. Tiffany is in Thrive mode. Um, and uh, give the time when you're going to be available again. I love this because it basically helps change the culture. By being bidirectional, we hope it's going to change the assumption that being always on is the way to live. And it also gives you a mirror of your social media consumption, and you can choose to set limits and get... um, notifications, let's say when you're getting close to your, the one and a half hour you gave yourself on Instagram or whatever it is, and at one and a half hours or whatever limit you've set, it cuts you out. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. You know, I I love those little notifications because sometimes you just get buried in what you're doing. And it's not that you're, you're just not paying attention because you're so focused on whatever it might be. And I think it's a great way to start to change behavior, which I think that's the core of that. Exactly. I mean, everything we're doing and everything I believe in now is uh, micro steps for behavior change. We kind of all, to different degrees, know what we should be doing. So my goal through Thrive Global is to help people do it and then create, um, we call it a Thrive Tribe, uh, people who 
um, are in your corner, hold you accountable, um, and um, and make it easier for you to stick to your goals. Yeah, we even do something when we get friends together, you know, everyone has to put their cell phones in the middle of the table because it's like, look, if we're going to, you know, it's taken us weeks to get everybody together and now we're together, don't sit on your phone. <laughs> exactly. I think this is great. You know, anything like that, um, that helps us navigate um, our addiction, let's face it. Uh, I love it. And I think I love the experimentation too. You know, and I think in our personal lives, you know, that's sort of one way to change. And, and I think there's so much work going on on the corporate side as well, right, with this sort of social capitalism and do good um, by doing good. Uh, as you know, I work for um, Salesforce for, you know, one of one of the great CEOs who's really pushing this agenda and obviously is is invested in Thrive. Uh, but it's happening all over where you're seeing CEOs really stepping up to this more social capitalism, right? Oh, my God. I think it's amazing to see how this is spreading. And, of course, your CEO, Mark Benioff, has been at the forefront of this. But we now see that um, more and more companies are recognizing that this is not a nice-to-have, but essential in um in terms of the bottom line and business metrics as well, because of the relationship um, with our with every brand's customers and how important it is to them, um, what are the values that the company espouses? Yeah, and even uh, there was something over the holidays that the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, took ten days off for silent meditation and tweeted it out. Right, and I think everybody's reaction was what. And so, you know, people at Facebook and, and, you know, obviously where I work, we have meditation areas, but really seeing CEOs saying, I'm not only going to say I'm in, it's important for me to focus in on making sure my people are, are living a, a better life, right? Both personally and professionally, but I'm also walking the walk myself. Yes, exactly. I think it's, it's critical for executives at any level to, to walk the talk and, provide kind of um, new role models for this behavior. I think it's also exposure. You know, it was a couple of years ago. Um, it might have even been one of the last times I physically saw you when you were speaking at Dreamforce and you and Eckhart Tolle had a, a conversation. Um, and you sat in the middle of Dreamforce, for any of you <laughs> listening. You can, you can see it on, on YouTube. But here's Ariana in this dress, and she just sits on the stage, main stage. There's, you know, seven or 8,000 people around her, and she leads the whole room in a meditation. And it was interesting to – I was, you know, uh, sitting right behind you. But it was interesting to watch the faces of people who were like, what is going on? And then, you know, others just totally in it, right? And so – uh, I think it's exposure, right? You don't know what you don't know and what makes you feel uncomfortable. And so the things that, that you and others do really open up people's eyes who are less um, or more resistant, I should say, to, to things like this that they may think is kind of soft. Absolutely. In fact, it's so funny, but um, just before I went up to speak at Dreamforce, I was sitting next to Mark Benioff and, um, and I... I suddenly had this idea because, uh, as you know, your stage is in the shape of a cloud. That wouldn't be wonderful to kind of fulfill my dream of sitting on a cloud leading. <laughs> and I, I have a great picture of it. I'll have to tweet oh, it out. To, I'll, I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah. You have to let me know and I'll, I'll retweet it. Okay. And I remember 
saying to Mark, okay to do that? Because I thought you might think I'm crazy. And he said, of course, yes, great idea, do it. <laughs> well, you know, and it was and it was followed up by having, you know, Buddhist monks up there enchanting. And, you know, sometimes it's like people go, oh, you work at Salesforce. I'm like, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, when I was, you know, I was just describing that kind of leaving my 40s and getting into my 50s. And I wanted, I was starting to feel that more I want to kind of pay back, you know, and pay it forward sort of time right at that, that age. Uh, and I was making a decision of where to go, um, for my next, you know, for my next job. And, uh, you know, I, like you attend a lot of conferences, uh, and that's the only conference I've ever been to uh, work related where I've felt like I left and I wanted to be a better person. Oh, I and so, it, that. yeah. And so it really spoke to me when I said, okay, where am I? And, and sort of, you know, am I living my dream to quote you, someone else's dream or what society views valuable, right? And then turning that around saying, how can I take advantage of it? So I jumped at the opportunity, right? I think it just goes with uh, aligning yourself to your own personal core values with the companies going back to that social capitalism. Yes, it's very connected. It's just how people want to live and and their lives and how they want to run their businesses are are getting more and more closely intertwined. So for those people listening that might, you know, run a small business or run a small team, you know, in the corporate world, you know, how would they lean into this conversation with a team, you know, so that you don't turn people off to the concept? How, How would you recommend they approach it? I would say the first thing is to um, reevaluate their belief uh, that um, in order to succeed um, as a small business or as any size business, they need to be always on and um, sacrifice their health often, their relationships, their sleep. And look at the, all the science, we have tons of it on Thrive Global, that proves the contrary. That in fact, um, when you are recharged, when you take time for yourself, when, as they tell us on airplanes, you put uh, your own oxygen mask on first, you are more effective, more productive, and uh, you know better at everything you want to do. The, the delusion around burnout and stress are still prevalent in our culture, but what's happening is that we are much more aware of the price we pay. We are much aware, more aware of the price in terms of health. 75% of our healthcare problems and healthcare costs are because of preventable stress-related conditions, much more aware of the decline in engagement and productivity, um, so I think for all those reasons, we're seeing a shift. But like in any time of transition, um, multiple uh, behaviors are coexisting. Yeah, and there's lots to be said now about how people, employees, their passion for work uh, inspires something uh, better than engagement when you get them aligned together, you know, the core of the brand, its employees, what it stands for, everyone's sort of going in the same direction. It's so powerful. Yes, it is. Uh, it is incredibly powerful. And I 
um, believe that this is an amazing inflection time to be going through. And um, that's why I said at the beginning that which direction we take will depend very much on how wise we are and whether we choose to live to lead our lives from the deepest, most joyous and, and most creative part of ourselves or, or from the most frenetic and selfless part of ourselves. Yes, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, when you talk about everything you're doing at Thrive, what, what excites you the most about what you've got coming up? I, I think the app is great. Can't wait until it's on other platforms. Uh, I can't. I, as soon as I heard you did it, I went to the mm-hmm. app store. It wasn't there. But I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. But what's, what's, the, what's the things that makes you most excited? Well, what makes me most excited is seeing... Um, people make small changes in their lives that dramatically affect their health, their productivity, their happiness, their relationship with their loved ones. I just love that. We have over 20,000 contributors now on the platform. Um, And they range from uh, people like Jeff Bezos writing about why he gets eight hours of sleep and why this is good for Amazon shareholders, um, to students, to people who are making small but significant changes in their lives. And then we take uh, all these stories and help share them with companies that are working to change their cultures. So I would love to invite you and um, people listening to share their stories because I do believe that people change through stories as much as through data. So combining data and stories is going to be the future. And I think you're so good at galvanizing multiple stories and multiple points of view and not just from the Jeff Bezos of the world, right? But students and people from all walks of life. I mean, I think it was the core of, of what HuffPost was built on and I'm super excited to see everything that's happening at Thrive. Uh, and I also think, you know, the, the success that you've been able to build is going back to that brand comment and the CEO and really changing is that you're, this is what your brand is. You know, I, I know it's always... It, interesting to say to somebody who is the person I'm talking about, like, you know, that's what your brand represents to me from the outside looking in. What do you think your brand is from the inside looking out? I think pretty, pretty much the same, which is good to know. (laughs) It's very much a brand dedicated to shifting the culture so that we actually stop believing something that is both scientifically and philosophically false and start believing the truth, which is that we all have in us a place of wisdom, peace, and strength. And uh, the more time we spend there, uh, the more likely we are not to miss the point of our lives and um, to also be engaged, productive, and um and much healthier and happier. And I, I remember meeting actually Thich Nhat Hanh with Mark Benioff, the Buddhist monk, and um, and he said it's never been easier to run away from ourselves. And so that's a really important thing to remember. With our uh, addiction to our devices and the pervasiveness of technology everywhere, we have to be particularly diligent and um, particularly aware in order to remain connected with ourselves. And do you think that we're in, and I know you've said a couple of times that we're sort of at this inflection point, do you feel like there's this 
well, I know the answer, so let me ask that differently, that I feel uh, and I've heard, especially coming out of Davos and everything that went on at the World Economic Forum, I don't think you made it this year, but I know you've made it a number of times where the big topic around transparency and trust overwhelmed you know, a lot of the sessions. And I think part of this is this, you know, trying to get reconnected is this breakdown of, of trust. Yes, it's the breakdown of trust, but it's also um, a breakdown of the, the understanding among the elites of what is actually happening, of why so many millions of people have lost hope, um, of why um, they actually end up voting in ways that are against their own self-interest in the end, and uh, why we keep ignoring the dangers of growing inequalities. I mean, we talk about them, we discuss them at conferences, but we're not really doing anything about it. I think more are starting to, for sure. Um, that it, you know, and to your point, many people talk about it in going back to the mindfulness, you know, sort of talking about it and walking the walk. So whether it's uh, you know, companies like like where I work or Unilever or, you know, I mean, they're just, there's so many uh, that are really trying to uh, be better with that for sure. Uh, and and I think that that it's great that Thrive is once again, you know, filling that, filling that hole, but more importantly, just uh, giving a platform for good news, you know, quote unquote, right? The good side of what's happening. Yes, uh, not, not just very, very important. Yes, and I think it's something you've always really tried to keep as your true north, saying the good side of things. And not everyone always agreed with you. Well, I think uh, reminding us of, um, of all that is good about human beings, of the better angels of our nature, helps reinforce it. And thank you for what you are doing, Tiffany. I've really loved my time with you. Please share your wisdom on Thrive Global and invite your listeners to do so. I'm going to give them um, uh, my email address so they can send anything they want to say directly, ah at thriveglobal.com. And I look forward to seeing you on one coast or the other. Ariana, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on the What's Next podcast. I just want you to know I appreciate you and I'm very glad you're in my life. Thank you. Thank you, Tiffany. I'm very glad you're in my life too. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm not really sure what to say about how awesome that was, but you know, to get Ariana Huffington to give all my listeners of what's next her email address so that we can create this wonderful movement on Thrive and contribute all of our stories and help move the conversation forward couldn't have asked for anything better. The conversation around evolving relationships with technology, social capitalism, the power of strong CEOs who are equally as interested in making dollars and, and hitting the top line as they are in investing in their people. I just think the whole thing was fantastic. Underlying message for me was all about finding direction and purpose. Whatever your journey may be, whatever age you are, wherever you are in your career, always make sure you take a moment to reflect back, trust the process, and I know everything will work out in the end. With that, I thank you so much for listening to the What's Next podcast and joining me with Ariana Huffington. Please subscribe, tell your friends, and I'll look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you and have a great day.